So a little bit of uh, review as we get going back into the book of Matthew. If you've been with us, you know that we've made our way through the first four and a half chapters or so, and we've been looking at a lot, but the great, the overarching theme, the thing that we've looked at is that Jesus brings the heavenly kingdom to earth. We see that Jesus brings the heavenly kingdom to earth. Through his birth, when he comes to this earth, he indeed is the king that starts bringing in the new kingdom. The new heavenly kingdom that starts now that will last forever, the already, not yet, as we've talked about several times. And that is the theme that we continue to see through the book of Matthew. And then as we've gone through, you know we got, we've now gotten to chapter 5. Chapter 5 is the beginning of the famous Sermon on the Mount. And Pastor Justin did a great job last week just introducing us to the Sermon on the Mount, going through the Beatitudes and showing us the attitudes of those who are in the kingdom of God. And what we're going to continue to see as we look at the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is teaching about what does living in the heavenly kingdom really look like? What does living in the heavenly kingdom look like? How does it play out? And that's what this whole sermon really is going to center on, including what we're going to be looking at today. And so, so far in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen that kingdom citizens are congratulated for being different from the enemy kingdom around them. Jesus has made us different than the enemy kingdom that we live in, and therefore we are to be congratulated those who are in the kingdom of heaven. And that's where Jesus starts his sermon And today we're going to continue as we look at just a few verses. We're going to look at verses 17 through 20 in just a moment. But any kingdom we know needs to have a system of laws. Any kingdom or any nation has a law of the land that must be followed in order for that kingdom to flourish. This is just normal. This is how it works. No matter what kingdom or nation, there's always a set of laws. Now, some sets are good and some sets might be bad, but there's always a law that people are expected to follow. The citizens of that kingdom submit themselves to the law of the land or they will face some consequences for not pursuing and not submitting to the law of the land. And the heavenly kingdom is no different. As Jesus brings the heavenly kingdom There is a law that we also are called to submit to and obey. And for a good section now of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see Jesus is going to start unpacking a bunch of these what we would call laws. Laws that some were founded in the Old Testament and that the scribes and the Pharisees have added to. And Jesus is going to just turn them on their head and show us what the true law of the kingdom of heaven is all about. And he will be getting there But he introduces it today in today's passage in 17 through 20. And so the question that I'm going to ask us all today is to consider, will you, will I, will we be law-abiding citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Will we be law-abiding citizens or will we be in rebellion? And we're going to look at today what the laws of the heavenly kingdom look like and how Jesus is the one that we can look to to tell us exactly what this looks like. And so, as we get ready to talk about this passage, let us begin by reading the passage that we find ourselves in today, which again is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. As Jesus continues his sermon, he says this, 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus starts off talking about the law of the kingdom, and he makes several different statements about the law. And we're going to look at three overarching statements that he makes, and then each of these statements we can break down in smaller pieces. But as we look at verses 17 through 20, we see that Jesus is bringing out the idea that the law indeed is here for the heavenly kingdom. And the first thing we see in verses 17 and 18 is that the law is fulfilled in Jesus. The law that is fulfilled in Jesus is the law that is the law of the land. The law that is fulfilled in Jesus. You'll notice in this passage that as we start right off, we see that Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. That's what Jesus says. So what does this mean? Let's take it apart, little phrase by little phrase. We see that here, Jesus says that he has fulfilled the law, and he also says he has not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but he's come to fulfill them. So what are the law and the prophets? When we read the law and the prophets, or the law or the prophets, most every time it's used in Jesus' ministry as well as just around the times, the way that that would be referred to is a way to reference all of the Old Testament. The Torah, the first five books that were many laws where we saw many of the ritual laws and the moral laws that were given to Israel. Yes, that's a part of it. That's the law. And then the prophets would have been considered everything after that from the historical books all the way through the major and minor prophets. And we know that that's how the Bible has been set up. So when Jesus mentions the fact that he did not come to destroy or to abolish the law or the prophets, but instead he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, when we see that, and Jesus is going to use this statement a few other times that we'll get to later today, but as we look at this, we see that Jesus is saying the Old Testament as a whole. He is not here to negate what the Old Testament taught the Jewish people. He is not here to to throw it out. He is not here to abolish it, to destroy it, but instead he is here to fulfill it. He is here to make it whole. And that's where we're going to be looking today as we think about fulfilling, making something whole or complete. And that's what Jesus is going to do. But we need to understand what he's talking about here is not just the Ten Commandments. He's not just talking about the five books of Moses. But indeed, he's talking about the Old Testament. Now, based on context, we can see that the commandments are going to be a big part of his discussion here. The commands that God gave through the Law and the Prophets, Jesus is going to talk about not only in our passage today but he's going to talk about in all the passages that follow but we still understand that there is a understanding here that this phrase refers to not just the commands but all of the old testament scripture and jesus says he's not here to destroy it but to fulfill it you see it's interesting that he says he didn't come to destroy the old testament or the law that was set out before him why would he have to say this well Up to this point in the book of Matthew, we haven't seen a whole lot of things that have happened 
yet as far as his confrontation with the religious leaders of Israel. But we do know as a general context of Jesus' ministry that it was very obvious that he didn't do things the way all other scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers and rabbis would do things. He was teaching things differently. He was uh, not really focusing in and making such a big deal about the little parts of the law that really were just additions from the Pharisees. And so it's very likely that people are already starting to come to a place where they would be accusing him of throwing away all of the Old Testament and throwing away the law and throwing away Moses. But Jesus says that is not what he's here to do. Instead, he's not here to destroy what the Old Testament started, but he's here to fulfill it. He may have wandered from the strict interpretation that the religious leaders would have, but he has a true understanding of the law that he has been teaching and will continue to teach. One that does not negate the Old Testament, but adds into it. So that brings us to this word fulfilled that's used here when Jesus says that he's going to bring it to fulfillment, that the law is fulfilled in him. He has come to fulfill them, the law and the prophets. So Jesus has come to fulfill the Old Testament. What does this mean? So as I did a lot of study this week, you'll be amazed at how many different opinions are out there about what it means that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, or that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. And indeed, there are many, many different opinions. I'm going to give you four today that I came across that I think all four of them have a certain amount of truth, but the fourth one, I believe, encompasses all of the other three. So first, uh, well, I'm sorry, before we get ahead of ourselves, before we see what the fulfillment is, let's look at what the word fulfilled even means. And what the word fulfilled means here is to bring to conclusion or to fill up. Really, it could mean to make complete or to make whole. Jesus is saying that he is fulfilling the Old Testament. He is bringing it to a conclusion. He's filling it up. He's making it whole. He's making it complete. That's really what Jesus is saying when he says that he fulfills the Old Testament. And so that's what it means, but what does that actually look like? And so there are the four possibilities that I just mentioned that people have come up with. The first one is that Jesus fulfilled the law by obeying it completely. That the way that Jesus says, I have, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets, when he says that, what he means is he has obeyed everything in the law and the prophets perfectly that you and I and the Jews of, those, of that day could not do. And therefore, since they couldn't obey those laws, we can't obey those laws in and of our own strength. Therefore, Jesus did it for us. And Jesus obeyed all of the laws and was perfect, and therefore he fulfilled the law. I do believe that this is true. Jesus didn't sin. I believe that Jesus did obey the law in its entirety. He was able to do this even though we are not, and I believe that is true, that he obeyed the law so we wouldn't have to to receive eternal life. That is true. But I don't think this is the complete way that God, that Jesus here, is trying to communicate with us. The second way that is often talked about is that Jesus fulfilled the law by satisfying its demands through his sacrifice. So what people will say is, yes, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament uh, moral law because he lived a perfect life. And Jesus also fulfilled the Old Testament uh, ceremonial law because he gave his life as a sacrifice and he paid everything once and for all so that the sacrificial system and all the ceremonial laws no longer held any hold any power because Jesus all he was the one that was the ceremonies were just a shadow of him and you'll actually see that wording in Hebrews 
And I don't have time this morning to unpack all of Hebrews chapter 8 through chapter 10. That's a long reading, but I would encourage you, if you have an opportunity even today, to go to the book of Hebrews and read chapters 8 through 10. In fact, read the whole book of Hebrews because the, the understanding and the lesson that we get from Hebrews is very simple. That yes, when Jesus came and gave himself as a sacrifice, he fulfilled all the ceremonial laws and he gave us ultimate forgiveness, a sacrifice once for all, and Jesus did do that. And so yes, I do believe that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament and the law through his sacrificial death, but I think there's even more to it than that. Thirdly, many times it's said that Jesus fulfilled the law by teaching what it truly means. That Jesus comes to fulfill the law to show people what the law really means or how they should really follow the law. Now, We're going to see that this indeed is true. Jesus is about to do that in this very sermon. And so yes, Jesus fulfills the law by teaching it in a way that shows what it's really all about. And we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about the fact that Jesus brings it down to the law is not about what we do externally, but the love that we have internally. And he's going to talk about that. So maybe that is part of how Jesus fulfills the law. So, for sure, he fulfilled the law by obeying the moral law completely. He fulfills the law by satisfying its demands through his sacrifice. And he fulfills the law by teaching what it truly means. All these things, I believe, are very true. But I think, as you look at the context of the book of Matthew, and we've already seen this fulfillment uh, theme coming out through the book of Matthew, where several times Matthew reminds us that Jesus is a fulfillment of something that was coming, that was promised in the Old Testament. Not a fulfillment in the sense of a prediction that's coming true, but a fulfillment of a pattern that Jesus is now stepping into. That Israel was meant to do one thing, and Jesus now has been fulfilling what they were meant to do, and he is retelling the story of Israel so that he can bring true salvation to not only Israel, but to the whole world. And so we've seen through the book of Matthew that the idea of fulfillment is not about um, just predictions being coming true and it's not just about jesus making things the law more clear but indeed what the deal is is jesus is saying the law and the prophets i have fulfilled them because i am the one that the law and the prophets have been pointing to all of this time and we see this throughout scripture we see that the old testament is simply a mirror that is point is pointing us back towards jesus all of it's going towards jesus And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, all of the laws, all of the history, everything that all of the, all of the prophecies, everything that's encapsulated in the Old Testament, Israel has been waiting for what would come of all of those promises and all of those laws. And he is the one who has come to fulfill that. Israel thought they could find fulfillment uh, in obeying the, the written law, but Jesus says, no, I'm the one who fulfills all things. All the promises, all the laws, everything in the Old Testament, it all points to me. That's what Jesus is really saying here. And I believe that the other three things we talked about are all part of this. Because he is fulfilling the Old Testament, all the promises that were given, that he is stepping in for Israel where Israel had failed, when Jesus is doing that, he is fulfilling all that was meant for him to fulfill, and that is everything in the Old Testament points to him. He is bringing the story to its completion, to its wholeness. Through Jesus, the story of the Bible from the Old Testament and all the way through to the end of Revelation, through Jesus, the story will be completed and it is whole. 
And that's what I believe Jesus is saying when he says that he has fulfilled the law and the prophets. So again, Jesus says, I'm not here to destroy the Old Testament, but instead, I'm actually going to show you that I am what the Old Testament was all about. That's what Jesus is saying. And the final thing he says here in this verse, as we continue to read, he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus says the whole law is permanent until all is accomplished. Now, when is all accomplished? Well, I believe he says what that means right here in the context when he says until heaven and earth pass away. This phrasing is often used of when the second coming comes and Jesus, uh, everything is, passes away and it's recreated into its new creation. And so Jesus is saying here that the law is not something that can be thrown away. Not by throwing it away when Jesus comes and dies and rises again, or even when he's, when he's speaking. He says, no, don't throw it away, don't destroy it, but I've come to fulfill it, and this law is going to continue on till the very end of time. That's what Jesus is saying. And so he's saying not only is the law not destroyed by him, but he'll also preserve it. That's how important the Old Testament truly is. So I want to just say real quickly, in today's society, there have been some Christians who have come out and said that we don't need to read the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is, is antiquated or that the Old Testament is not a good picture of who God really is any longer, that God has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and all we really need to know is the New Testament as Christians. There's nothing further from the truth. The Old Testament points all the way to Jesus And so we need that there to see all of the history and all of the promises and all of everything that had led up to Jesus. And then, yes, we have the New Testament to see how we live a life based on what Jesus did to fulfill the Old Testament. But don't throw the Old Testament out. And I'm not saying that. Jesus is. Jesus says, no, I'm not here to destroy the Old Testament. Instead, it's going to last forever, and it's something that I am fulfilling. And so, again, I would encourage us all, if you ever hear that or are tempted to to keep all of your devotional time and all of your time of reading into the New Testament, you're missing out on what God has for you in his Old Testament because it all points to Jesus. And I would encourage you to read both the Old and the New Testaments. It's kind of a side point. Let's move on to what Jesus is saying here in this passage. And so again, so first of all, we see the law of the kingdom, the law of the heavenly kingdom is fulfilled in Jesus. The fact that all of it, everything is about him. He is the source of the law. He is the one who obeyed the law. He is the one who teaches the law. It's all centered around him because the whole Old Testament was all about getting to the point where he would come and bring the kingdom. And so we listen to Jesus. And so he continues to tell us what needs to happen. If this is true, if Jesus is the one who's the fulfillment of all the law, then he's the one we follow. And then he goes in to talk about the fact that the law is indeed meant to still be obeyed. He says in verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, so Jesus takes an opportunity now to bring in this idea that, no, indeed, not only is he not here to destroy the law, but he's fulfilling it. That means that people in his kingdom, Christians, those who will follow Jesus, are still expected to obey So the law must be obeyed. The law that must be obeyed is the law that Jesus tells us about. And he says that it's not only about obedience to the law, but it's also about teaching others to do the same. 
Jesus says it's important to obey the law. The law that all points to him, we need to obey that and also teach it to others. We need to do what God asks and show others and tell others to do the same thing. And so again, because he didn't come to destroy the law, he didn't come to destroy the Old Testament, yes, there are things that we still follow. God's moral law still means that we want to follow what God says. Now, I'm not saying that we have to obey all the ceremonial rituals that they did in the Old Testament. Again, I do believe that Jesus answered all of that through his death. And all of those things are no longer binding. And all of those things are no longer what we need to do. Because Jesus died once and for all for all sacrifices. And he, he did end the sacrificial system and the ceremonial law that needs to be practiced. Because we find truth and all of those things were pointing to him and pointing to him alone. However, there are still, we cannot live a life in which we say, well, it doesn't really matter how I live. I can live however I want. I, can, I don't have to obey God. I can just sin and then he'll forgive me because he's a God of grace. Many times in scripture we see that that is not the way we should live. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you need to still obey God and you need to teach others to obey God. So it's what we do that's important, but it's also what we teach others as well, what we pass on. Again, this is not just about us. Obeying God's law is about others as well. Jesus obeyed for the sake of others and we should do the same. He goes on to say that no one should relax one of the least of these commandments. The commandments he's about to start talking about. And Jesus says, uh, relaxing the law leads to judgment. Ignoring God's moral commandments and teaching others to do the same is not a good thing to do. It will not end well for you. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that there is judgment for those who relax the law, who say the law doesn't matter, following God God's, God doesn't matter, obeying God isn't what's important. Jesus says, no, it is important, and do not relax the law of God. The idea of relaxing would be to take away from, and the point is, Jesus is about to go into this whole sermon where he's going to point out that not only is he not going to take away from the law, he's actually going to make it even more. He's going to make it even greater. He's going to show the law to be even more demanding than we even knew. And Jesus will do that. He does the opposite of relaxing. He will strengthen them. And so he says the law of God needs to be strengthened and it needs to be obeyed. Now in just a moment we're going to see what the law of God and obedience really looks like. But before we get there, the last thing Jesus says here in this verse is obeying and teaching the law leads to blessing. So whereas if relaxing the law and teaching others to do the same is going to bring some form of judgment, we see that obeying and teaching the law will lead us to blessing. That's what God says here. That's what Jesus says. By the way, this has been how it's been from the beginning. When the law was given to Israel, you look, just read the whole book of Deuteronomy if you have a chance, but Deuteronomy is all about if you obey God's laws out of a love for him, then you will be blessed. And if you don't obey God's laws, then you will be cursed. Now that doesn't always mean that life is going to go perfectly if we obey God, but it does mean that God wants to bless those who are willing to listen and love him and follow him. And so Jesus says here that you need to not relax these commandments, but instead do them and teach them to others. So that's verse 19. And then in verse 20, Jesus says something that his, nor- his hearers would have been very overwhelmed by and probably taken uh, quite the step back. 
about what Jesus says. Because he follows up by saying this in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is very firm here and he says, listen, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, which I'm bringing right now, as, I'm being, as it's being fulfilled in me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be part of the kingdom of heaven, then your righteousness needs to be greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. Now this would be preposterous to many who are listening. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were the holiest of holy people. They were the most righteous. They were, fo- they were the ones who followed the law to a T. They were so righteous that they even added laws to the laws to make sure that they wouldn't break the laws. The scribes were the ones that studied the, the word. They studied the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And they knew it. They memorized it. The Pharisees knew the law more than anyone else. And so as Jesus says this, this had to be overwhelming to those who listen. But before we get to being too overwhelmed by it, we see that the law leads to true righteousness. That Jesus' law, the true law, will lead us to righteousness. The law that Jesus is teaching, the law that Jesus has fulfilled, through Jesus, we have the righteousness that will exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, let's start by looking at the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. We actually have a, a, a picture of this later on in the book of Matthew as Jesus talks to them. And listen to what Jesus has to say to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So we see here that the scribes and the Pharisees, their righteousness was very clear of what it was. It was an outward righteousness that looked really good, but on the inside they were rotten. They were hypocrites. And Jesus is pronouncing a woe of judgment on them for this. They looked righteous on the outside, but they were not righteous on the inside. And what we see as Jesus interacts with the Pharisees and scribes, and what we're going to talk about now, as Jesus just mentions, the fact that our righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, what Jesus is very clearly saying is that God is about obedience that comes from the heart, that comes from within. It's not about rules that we follow, but it's about a heart that loves God and follows him. The true law is love for God and love for others. And we'll talk about that today, as many of you have already maybe thought of as we've gone through this sermon. But Jesus makes it very clear that the scribes and the Pharisees are totally messed up in the sense that they are living an outwardly righteous life that everyone would have looked at and thought was righteous, but instead they were just just disgusting inside, hypocrites that were dead and decaying. 
That's what Jesus says about the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And so many times this passage I've heard used and it says, well, look what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven. Like he's trying to make a point that no one's good enough. Listen, that point is made very clear throughout the rest of scripture that there is none who does good, that we are all sinners, we are all deserving hell. And that is true. We're all deserving death because of our sin. But I believe what Jesus is saying in the context here is he's saying, if you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven, then that means you are going to follow and obey the law that I have fulfilled. You're going to do that as you have a love from your heart, as this is an inward righteousness, not an outward righteousness. You're not going to be able to obey everything on the outside and say, well, look at me, look how great I am. But you can, it, you can truly follow me and follow the law that Jesus has set through the inward righteousness that will come as a result of love, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. So, we see that this to be true. True righteousness, this internal righteousness that I just talked about, does indeed exceed. It exceeds this external obedience. External obedience that the scribes and Pharisees had, true righteousness will exceed that. This has always been true of God's law, by the way. This is not something that Jesus is just bringing up. It's brand new. Like, oh yeah, by the way, I know you guys have been wrong all these years, but you know the law, it's not about the outward stuff. It's about the inward stuff. No, actually, way back when the law was given, we see that the principle was there. Uh, real quickly, let's just look at some verses. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 16. It says, and now, and again, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 16. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Yet to the Lord his heart uh, has set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as you are his day, as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And then in Deuteronomy 30, 6 through 8, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I commanded you this day. Back in Deuteronomy, it's very clear. What God expected was not that they would, that they needed to look at the list and obey all the rules because that's just what you're supposed to do. Even in Deuteronomy, there wasn't a system of legalism. It was about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And if you loved your God with all your heart and soul, then you would obey his commandments. But again, it was about the inward motivation of obedience, not about just doing what you were supposed to do. In Psalm 40, 6 through 8, the psalmist says something very similar. Psalm 40, 6 through 8. He says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Here in Psalms, we also see this idea that the law is not about a bunch of written rules that we have to follow, but the law is about loving God with our hearts, that the law is within his heart. 
and that it's not about sacrifice. It's not the external things we do that make God happy or that allow him to, uh, to see what he wants from us. But it's not just doing the right things on the outside, but it's loving him from a heart that cares about following him. That's what God expects and asks of us as his followers. Another verse, as we're talking about this, is Hosea 6.6. 6. It says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Again, we see God's true heart is to have people who are people of love and mercy and people who know him. Not just to give the right offerings, not just to obey the right rules, but this is for people who truly love him and want to know him. And so we see that the law is to be on people's hearts and love for God is the basis of obedience. So let's take a little bit of a rabbit trail, if I haven't already, but just, I want to, I didn't know where to put this into the sermon, but it needs to be talked about, and I've already mentioned it a couple different times. But let's just take a quick rabbit trail we need to take, and that is that when we talk about internal righteousness or internal obedience, what we're really talking about is love. Internal obedience to the law is in itself love, love for God and love for others. We see this in the book of Matthew, and we also see this in other places in Scripture. But I want to look at the places in Matthew, as we're in this book, where Jesus talks about the fact that the inward righteousness that comes in the inward obedience of the law is about love. Matthew seven twelve, right in the same Sermon on the Mount, but this is what he says. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, and then watch what he says, For this is the law and the prophets. We've heard this phrase before. This is the law and the prophets is to do whatever you would do to others that you would want done to you. Really what Jesus is saying here is love others because we would want to be loved and therefore we need to love others. But he goes in and says this even more clearly later on in the book of Matthew when he's tested by the same Pharisees that we've been talking about. They come to him in verse 34 of chapter 22. Matthew twenty two thirty four through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend on all the law and prophets. Jesus makes it clear when he answers this that the greatest commandments are not about the list of do's and don'ts. It's not about following all the rules that are written on paper, but it's about loving God and loving others. And then he says it's on those two things that that all the law and prophets depend upon. Everything is centered around loving God and loving others. That is extremely clear here. Love for God and neighbor, which is treating others as you would want to be treated, is the foundation of the law and prophets. By the way, this is going to lead us right into verses 21 through 40, sorry, 21 through 48, in which Jesus is going to do exactly what we're talking about. He's going to say, listen, you have heard it was said, there was, there's a rule that you need to follow, but there's something even more to it. And the things that he's going to unpack are going to show that there is love that needs to be the basis of everything. For instance, and I, I don't want to get too far ahead, but when he talks about murder, he says, you've heard that it's said you don't, don't murder, but 
if you hate somebody in your heart, it's as bad as murder. What is he saying there? He's saying, because love is the ultimate standard of the true inner righteousness, the true law, you have not obeyed because you have chosen not to love. And he'll do that with the other commandments that he talks about as well. But we see here very clearly that true righteousness, which exceeds the external obedience of the Pharisees and scribes, is inward righteousness that comes as we love God and love others. And we'll talk about more, that a little bit more as we close today. But one last thing we see in verse 20 is that this righteousness that Jesus is talking about, this righteousness that only can come through him because he's fulfilled all things, it comes through him and he gives it to us to love one another and to love God and to love others. That righteousness that we need is the entrance fee or the ticket, the entrance to the heavenly kingdom. He says that unless it exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, your righteousness, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, if you want to be in my kingdom, it means that you're going to have to embrace true inward righteousness, which is love for God and love for others. This indeed is not surprising since Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament has already pointed us towards this new covenant that Jesus would bring. A new promise that God would bring, that Jesus would bring. A new promise, not that would destroy the old promise, but that would make the old promise, the Old Testament, even better. That new covenant was promised in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 18, the author of Hebrews quotes some of Jeremiah 31 to show us what's really going on here. The fact that now this righteousness can be, that we can have this righteousness comes as a result of the new covenant that Jesus has brought. Hebrews 10, 12 through 18. Hebrews 10, 12 through 18. But when Christ is offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. What is the promise that was given in the Old Testament that now is fulfilled in Jesus as he comes to sacrifice himself for the sins of the people to be forgiven? What Hebrews says, it points back to Jeremiah 31, is that this covenant would mean that his laws will be on our hearts and will be written on our minds. No longer will laws be about what's written on paper or on stone, but laws will be what's in our heart. The love that we have for God, the love that we have for others, it's a total transformation it's not just about what's on the page, but it's about what's in our heart. And Jesus, through his death, through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, through all of that, brings the new covenant that says no longer do we obey a law that is uh, a law of written rules, but we obey the law that was meant to be obeyed from all through, which is the law of love for God and love for others. But let's talk about, again, that again we're talking about today that righteousness is the entrance fee to the heavenly kingdom and since jesus has fulfilled this we also know through scripture that jesus's righteousness becomes our righteousness which is greater than the scribes and pharisees so how does this work so how does this work 
that the law is written on our hearts and minds and therefore we can have true righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. How can this be true? Romans 5, 19 through 21 tells us how this can be true. In Romans 5, 19 through 21, we read this. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice that in verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Righteousness can be can happen in our lives. We can have true inner righteousness of a love for God and love for others, not because we're good enough for it, because we can earn it or we can manufacture it, but because Jesus has given it to us. Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection, through taking the penalty for sin on our behalf, reversed what Adam started and instead now gives us life. And he gives us true righteousness that can only come from him. And yes, that righteousness does exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Righteousness that's given through Jesus and what he's done for us. Again, he fulfills all things and he fulfills righteousness. And as we follow him and we are in him, then we also can experience the righteousness that he has given us. He has declared us righteous even though we are sinners. And we know that to be true. So if all that's true today, we've looked at the verses, we've looked at the idea here uh, that uh, the law is fulfilled in Jesus, the law needs to be obeyed, and uh, as then finally, that the law leads to righteousness. So as we obey the law that Jesus has fulfilled, it leads to true righteousness. We need to talk then about the implications of what this means today for us, how we can take this and, and walk out of this place uh, and know how to live in light of what we've just learned. So two implications that I want to talk about today, and there's a few verses that we will share as we go through this. But the first thing I want to say is that outward obedience to rules doesn't produce God's righteousness, and therefore doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven and be a follower of Jesus today, uh, you need to make sure that you are doing it the way God says to do it, and outward obedience to a bunch of rules is not what ends up saving us. Indeed, in Galatians chapter 2, Galatians 2, verses 16 through 21, this is what we read. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul here in Galatians makes it very clear that justification or righteousness is not achieved by doing the works of the law, by obeying a bunch of rules. 
Maybe you've come to church all your life and you just think that Christianity is just about doing all the right things and not doing the wrong things. Now, there is truth to the fact that we should do right and not do wrong, but that is not what gives us any kind of standing with God. We can't receive righteousness or eternal life or be entered into the kingdom of heaven through just doing a bunch of things right and not doing wrong things. All of us have sinned and done wrong, but then there's no amount of right things we can do to make that right. The Bible is very clear on this throughout the pages of Scripture. But here in Galatians, it's very clear that if we are to have true righteousness that matters, true righteousness is going to come through the death of Christ on our behalf as we receive, as we receive that and ask for that and as, as we receive that in Christ. So again, what we see here is that we are justified, made righteous in the eyes of God through the death of Jesus, through having faith in him, just trusting in what Jesus did, not in doing all the things that we're supposed to do. So that is the first thing I want us to think about. Outward obedience to rules doesn't produce God's righteousness and it doesn't get you into God's kingdom. You see, that's how the old kingdom worked. That, it wasn't meant to be that way, but that's how Jews made it and that's how we make it. It's like the old kingdom is if you just do all the right things and you obey the laws and you just follow every little jot and tittle and you just make sure that you get it all done, then that's going to make it so you are accepted, so that you are part of the kingdom. But that's not the kingdom of heaven that Jesus brings. The kingdom that, God, that Jesus brings is one of faith and trust in him. It's following him who fulfilled all the Old Testament, who fulfilled all the law. Not by trying to fulfill it ourselves by doing it all, but instead by trusting in him who fulfilled it all for us. So don't lean on your outward obedience to be in God's heavenly kingdom. So then my last implication then, and we'll have some questions for conclusion, but the last implication is love is the law of the heavenly kingdom, so obey it. Love is the law of the heavenly kingdom, so obey it. So we're going to look at several passages here, and we're just going to fly through them, but as we do, I want you to hear what the Bible has to say about love and how it relates to fulfilling the law in our lives. 1 John 5, 1 through 5, we're going to see, first of all, that a love for God will lead to obedience to his commands. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whatever has been born of him, or whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, faith and love go together as we are following Jesus. And it says if we love God, we will follow his commandments. If we love God, we will love others. It's all in this passage. A love for God and a love for others leads us to a love for his commandments. And so this is what I really want to quickly say We'll talk about this in a moment, but just because we're saying today that uh, the written down little laws, we don't, it's not about following all the worded laws, but it's about following the law of Christ, which is love. That is true, but true love will obey God. If you truly love God, you will do what he asks you to do. You're not going to turn your back and say, you know what, God, I know that you told me not to do that in your word, but I'm going to turn my back because I don't care. That's not true love. And many times when we do wrong things, sinful things, it also hurts other people. And so again, 
This is not as simple as just saying, well, as long as I love everyone, then I don't have to worry about how I live. No, it's actually much greater and deeper than that. It's the fact that if you truly do love people and you truly love God, then it will come out in the way you live. You will follow the ways of God. You will be kind and generous and loving to other people. And we'll see some more verses that'll show us that. But the understanding here through 1 John 5 is that if you've been born of God, you will not only love God, but you will love others. And by doing that, you will be obeying his commandments. So yes, Jesus does come to fulfill the law and it's, he's going to be preaching now for several uh, different times. He's going to say, yes, there is something you need to obey. There is something you need to do. But it's not that we can do those things to achieve God's favor. It's already been given to us and therefore out of that love and favor that God has already showed us, out of the righteousness that he has already bestowed upon us, that is how we can live these things out. We can't do this on our own. It's only through his love and then us loving him and us loving others that we can truly obey his commandments. Back in Galatians 2, remember Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The fact that we can love God and love others only comes as a result of our following and our knowing of Jesus. He is the one that allows us to do that. And so a love for God will lead to obedience and it will lead to a love for others. Indeed, in 1 John 4, uh, just a chapter before this, we read something else that says, in 1 John four nineteen through 21, we love because he first loved us. Again, why do we love? It's only because of his love. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's very, very clear what God expects. And that is that we can love because of his love. And as we've experienced his love, we can forward that love on to others. We can love others as we love God. And if we don't love others, then maybe we don't really love God. And John is saying very clearly here that the two go hand in hand. Jesus said the same thing. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He already said that. Jesus said that. And John now is just repeating that. He's saying, if you love God, you'll love others. And that's the commandment that has been given to us. So a love for God will lead to obedience and love for others. Loving others will show our love for God. Love for a neighbor actually fulfills the law. This is where I really wanted to get us to. Galatians five thirteen through 15. Galatians five thirteen through 15. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Galatians 5, very clear. What does it say here? It says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, love for neighbor is linked to love for God. And if you truly love God and love your neighbor, then the commands of God will be followed. And that is why all of the law is fulfilled completed through love. Jesus was the ultimate lover. He was the ultimate one who gave love to us. He gave love to us and to God through his sacrifice on the cross, which, will mo- which we will mention in a moment. But what we see here is that when we love our neighbor, we're loving God and it's fulfilling the law. That's not the only time that the Bible says that. Romans 13 also mentions the same idea. Romans 13 Owe no one anything, in verses 8 through 10, sorry. Owe no one anything except to love one another. 
For one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in one in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. We started by talking about how Jesus fulfilled the law. And again, Jesus fulfilled the law by everything was pointing to him. And he did give the ultimate act of love on our behalf. He died on the cross for our sins so that we wouldn't have to die and face eternal punishment in hell. He did that for us. He did that to love God, to to redeem a people for himself, to give glory to God. Jesus did all of that. And now in Romans, we're told that we need to follow that example And all things are fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the law and we fulfill the law by loving one another. Again, not forgetting that by loving one another, we're showing our love for God. And finally, as I've said it, love was ultimately shown through Jesus. So we must follow the king, the king of the kingdom. The one who we follow has given the greatest act of love. And that's why in John 13, 34 through 35, we read this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does he say here? He says, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Jesus loved us, the ultimate act of love. He gave himself up for us. He came down from his throne from heaven. He came as a baby. We talked about that even in the book of Matthew And Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament, to fulfill the promise that said a Savior was coming to save people from their sin. And that's what Jesus did. And Jesus came and then saved his people from their sin, not by riding in on a white horse and destroying people, but by dying on a cross, by living a perfect life that we couldn't live, by dying on a cross, that a death that we deserved, and then rising again to prove his power over sin and death. And we see that God has done that, and Jesus did that. And therefore, just as he loved us, now he says, go forward and love others in the same way. Sacrifice ourselves for one another. Indeed, as Jesus came to fulfill the law, he fulfilled it through his sacrifice and through his love. And now we, as we follow him, and only through his power, This power of the Holy Spirit that he's given us, it's only through that that we can love one another as he loved us. So let us follow our king and love one another. So today we've talked a lot about the law. Are we going to be a law-abiding citizen? And my questions for you are are these. Have you been trying to earn God's favor through outward obedience? Is that you today? Have you been trying to earn God's favor to earn your way into God's kingdom by just doing all the right things, but you really have never really changed inside. You've never really loved God and loved others the way you know you should, and it's just something that you know, that you have obeyed on the outside because you think that's what Christianity is all about, is just doing all the right things and not doing the wrong things. I would implore you to just come before Jesus and ask him for forgiveness to repent and turn away from sin and turn towards him, the one who is there to accept you. He's gentle, he's lowly, he loves you, he's ready to receive you. And he has given you the the opportunity to have his righteousness. You don't need to earn your righteousness, you can just come to him. And you just simply come to him and you, you, you believe in him, you trust in him and you give everything to him and you say, Jesus, take my life. Jesus, help me to repent, help me to love you and help me to love others. 
No longer should you live a life in which you're just obeying a bunch of rules, but you should live a life in which you truly love God and love others. That leads us to the second question. Have you been relaxed about obeying God's laws? So maybe on the other end of the, the, the pendulum, so one side of the pendulum says, I need to obey all the laws to make God happy. The other side of the pendulum says, well, I don't need to obey anything because you know what? God forgives me anyway. Again, the Bible is full. Paul says many times, that is not how this works. The point of God's grace and the point of God's love is not so that we can trample on it by turning our backs on it. So let's not swing the pendulum the other way and just say, well, it doesn't matter how I live as long as I love God. Remember what I said earlier, what the Bible says, that loving God will equal obeying his commandments. So in other words, if you truly love God and others, it's going to show up in the way you live. If you're living a life right now that is full of sin and it's full of hatred, and, or it's just full of sin and there's full of things that you know you shouldn't be indulging in, then I can tell you that you're not really loving God and loving others the way that you should. And I would say the same for me. When I'm caught in sin, it's because I'm not loving others and loving God the way I should. And when that happens, I need to repent of that and, and look for ways to love God and love others. But that will result in how I live. It will result in how you live. If you truly love someone, it'll change how you live. And Christ is the one that has given us the ultimate love. We should have our ultimate love for him, and therefore it should change how we live in this world. And that leads me to my final question, and that is simply, is your life marked by love? Is your life marked by love? Only you can answer that question. You need to get before Jesus and just ask him. Say, Jesus, I want to love people, and I want to love God the way you did. Would you help me to do that? Today's the day you can do that. That brings us to the end of this sermon. I want to thank you all for listening as we are again looking at all of this and remembering that we need to love one another.